Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio. If you are caring for a person with autism, great information from a trusted source can be a lifeline. We hope today's conversation will help you create success for the extraordinary individual with autism in your life. Now, here is your host, Rob Haupt. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio. I'm Rob Haupt. Uh, week number two on our, on our new home, our new format here on uh, Blog Talk Radio. Um, it's, it's been pretty interesting. I kind of like some of these new features we've got going on. We were just talking as the show was getting going about uh, some of the new controls. So it's, it's been good. I'm, I'm excited. Um, for you guys, you know, so many of you probably already know, but for people new to the show, um, I'm uh, a board-certified behavior analyst. Uh, I'm an ABA guy, and, and I've been doing ABA for a, a dozen years now. I'm actually right on the verge of uh, of my 10-year anniversary actually here in California, um, being here and part of the ABA and autism community in, of LA. Uh, and I'm also the vice president at Autism Spectrum Therapies, a company that's based here out of California, um, but provides services all across the country. Again, ABA is really our, our number one focus because... Um, we just have so many BCBAs here with, with just a rich history of um, providing services, doing research, um, and, just, and just talking about ABA in the community. But we do a lot of other things in terms of outreach, uh, a little bit of speech, a little bit of OT, some social skills, um, and really just trying to bring comprehensive programs to kids and families. Um, you know, this week's show is is one that I'm really excited about. I get to... Uh, in a few minutes, get to tra- talk and chat with an old friend who, uh, as we were kind of warming up, we were kind of joking. It, it feels like we never really have a time to uh, actually sit and talk because we're always just on the go. Um, but as I was kind of getting ready for everything, uh, you know, so many weeks I, I feel like I'm thinking about things from, from a parent's point of view and really thinking about things um, from the different parents that I get to meet. And, you know, this week I, I found myself really stuck in a, in a provider's point of view. I'm really thinking from a clinician's point of view. I've been, I've been talking a lot to BCBAs, talking to a lot of different people about their programs and, and what they're doing and how they're setting them up. And it's been, it's been really fun for me. It's been really exciting to kind of really dive in for, for a week full speed into that clinical lens of, Know, how do you put a program together and how do you set these things up? And I've gotten to talk about all these different, all these different you know, ideas and thoughts ranging from how do we work on talking and language for a two-year-old to how do we help this eight-year-old be more independent at school all the way up to how do we help this 15-year-old with Asperger's learn coping strategies that are critical because he is becoming so anxious and it's impacting his desire to leave the home or engage in, in activities with other people. I mean, the whole range of, of things have been coming up and it's been really, really interesting and exciting to kind of jump back into it. And what was really, I think for me, the most fun, because I am an ABA nerd after after 12, 13 years, is, um, is how much the concepts were the same. You know, the applications were so different. You know, what you do for a two-year-old versus a 15-year-old, night and day different. It's night and day in how you apply it. But conceptually, the science really was the same. And it was really exciting to talk to these different people, some of them um, people who are on the, the line therapist interventionist level. Some of them are BCBAs themselves and really dig into you know, taking tackling a problem and really tackling it and digging into it and thinking about not just how do we solve this problem, but how does the solution to this problem lead to further success down the road? You know, how is language and how is us teaching this child to make one word requests going to feed into this child speaking in sentences down the road? What's our plan? What's the path we want to take? And we really just got to, again, regardless of age, regardless of goals, it was that same philosophy I've talked so much about. 
the goal is only as important as you knowing what the goal is going to be three goals from now. And when we really got to dig into that, and so often as we were problem solving and talking, the solutions we were coming up with were they were simple. They weren't these overly grand, overly complex things uh, for the eight-year-old in school. We weren't coming up with these overly dramatic, overly complicated reinforcement systems. That, that's what this kiddo really needed. And it was the simplest thing. I mean, it was something that truly took us all of five minutes to mock up. Now, the conversation of you know, what goal, what time of day, when do we trade in, what does he trade in for, that's what really took the time. But the structure of the system was really straightforward, really basic, really simple. And what was really great about that was it made it very easy to translate this to the child. And so much so that when uh, I, I found out just yesterday, when they explained it to the child and said, hey, here's this new system, here's what we're going to do, he was all into it. And he's, he's like keeping track of his points and he's giving himself stickers and he's already starting to, in his own way, take it into a bit of a self-management program. And this is after a couple of days. And so it was, it's just really cool to see the application of the science, but, but just we get that reminder that so often we, we tend to overcomplicate things. We make our interventions or we make our programs more sophisticated and more complex than they need to be, rather than just simply getting to the, the basic principles of what is reinforcing to this individual? What is the key goal we want to tackle? Um, that was the other thing. Our system is based on the three critical goals that this child needs to master, not 20 different goals that he needs to meet. And, and we kind of stepped them up and stepwise them. These are the three critical now, which lead to the next three critical, which lead to the next three critical. And it was, it was just more orderly. And it, as I said, it looks like he's already responding after just days. So if you're working on these things with your kiddo, regardless of age, young, old, so many of these concepts really apply. It's, it's just keeping things a little bit more straightforward, a little bit more simple, and just not overcomplicating. Um, well, let's get to today's show. Um, you know, I'm really excited about today's guest, uh, someone I've actually wanted to have on the show for a while. Uh, just never seemed to be the right timing in terms of, uh, of schedules and, and whatnot. And I, as I said, with this format, we have just so much so much more flexibility, so it made it a lot easier uh, for me to be able to set this up and, and have her on the show. Um, but today I'm, I'm joined by uh, an old friend of mine, someone I've actually known, I think, almost the entire time I've been here in Los Angeles, uh, Caroline Wilson. Um, and Caroline is, um, is a nurse, she's a special needs advocate, and she's also um, the executive director of the Autism Society of Los Angeles. Um, Caroline and her husband, Dean, are parents of two adults on the autism spectrum, Merritt, age 25, and Eliza, age 23. Um, she's born and raised in Southern California. She received her bachelor's degree in nursing at Cal State University, Long Beach, and worked as a medical, surgical, oncological, and labor and delivery nurse for over 15 years. She became a school nurse for Long Beach Unified School District in 1997 and earned a credential in school nursing from Cal State um, University of Los Angeles in 2000. In 2004, she left nursing to become an advocate for families with autism. She also became the president of the Autism Society of Los Angeles that same year. She served as president of the ASA of Los Angeles from 2004 to 2009 and then became the executive director for the Autism Society of Los Angeles. Caroline, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rob. Pleasure to be here. I, uh, and it yes, was, we've known each other since ten, for 10 years. I, I know. It, when I was looking down and I saw 04, I was like, did we really meet? And I think we met probably within about three or four months of me moving here. It was like the yes. summer, because it was like April is when I moved here. And I think I met you by like June or July. Exactly, yeah. But in a very different, uh, it, it's, it's kind of cool to see. You know, I know you and I have talked about this kind of off on the side many times. It's... I don't know. I, th I think it's really cool the way like we kind of keep weaving like our paths. Maybe we like won't 
see each other for maybe six months, maybe a year, and then we'll see each other like five times really close together. And it always seems like it happens a lot over the last 10 years, but it's always been in like different contexts. Maybe it has to do with uh, the insurance mandate one time, and we're working on that. Maybe it's a regional center thing for a while. Maybe it's just being on a committee together. It's, it's, it's just been very interesting to me that, how that worked out. Definitely. Definitely. It's, it's all part of the community. Yeah, yeah, really. And, and, and that's why I am actually was really excited about having you on. You know, for the last year, we've talked so much about community and grassroots. And the, the thing that I've really learned from, from the community is just how active uh, parents can be and what a big difference they can make in terms of bringing about changes. And I know that just for me, the Autism Society of Los Angeles has always struck me as being one of the more active, you know, grassroots, let's really bring important issues to the table that maybe we're not as a community talking about yet, but we should be. And there's been a lot of stuff you guys have, have kind of been the first ones to at least point out to me of where conversations yeah. should go. Definitely. You know, um, it's been an incredible year because we went from – um, in 2011, having the Autism in L.A. meetings where we got leaders from all over the autism community to come together around policy issues, one of the policy issues that we brought up at those meetings was we need, to get, we need really a change in the regional center system and we need self-determination. So mm-hmm. last year, it was all about trying to get the, this bill passed, and I had no idea how um, – difficult and many barriers get put in put in place but actually that the democratic process works parents mm-hmm. had a voice they were listened to and we got it passed and it's now law so it it was an incredible roller coaster of a year it's like birthing triplets for uh two years it was just crazy but it was people really the power of families the power of parents the power of people with autism making mm-hmm. those statements and saying, this is what I need, I need, this needs to change. It was amazing. Yeah. So the power of a community and the power of, of parents, individual voices coming together around a, a, a rallying point really does make a difference. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty, I was actually at one of the meetings where, um, I was at one of the meetings that Senator Mitchell had um, where mm-hmm. she was at her lunch bags and, you know, Judy was at that table with a uh, with a few other people. I think Connie um, was there as well. And you know, self determination was not on the agenda. But by the end of the meeting, it was on the agenda where it, was on the it agenda. came up. Yeah, we had it. Our our team of people were yeah, uh, on Judy, Mark, um, parents also incredibly gifted in, in public policy. Connie Lapin, who's been uh, also a parent, but has been around um, our yeah. California legislature for many years. And it was, it, we had a dream team. Every single person served a role. I was the one that was in the office shoving cards and sending it up to um, Senator Steinberg um, and, and really wow. making the, sending out the notices and bugging people. And it worked. Uh, it, I just it's, it's unbelievable, but it worked. So we now have a law. It's going to be slow rollout. So yeah. a lot of parent training, a lot of, a lot of um, you know, it comes back to what, what you were talking about at the beginning of the show is that what are the needs and mm-hmm. how can we meet them mm-hmm. in, the, in the most, you know, it doesn't have to be extremely elaborate, but we're hoping that, needs that aren't being met in the current system will be met because mm-hmm. people will have a choice of where the money is going. So um, it, it's going to make a big difference for the providers, and it's also going to be, make a big difference for the families and for the, the people with, with disabilities themselves. Yeah. yeah I'm kind of curious to almost take a step back. It, it's, you know, as I was preparing for the show and as we were as – as I was kind of reflecting back on, on knowing you for so long, I don't feel like I ever actually asked you how you started this journey. I mean, or what motivated you because you clearly had, you were, you were a nurse, you had a successful career, you were advancing your career by going back to school later on. And 
then you stopped it and made this really just a huge focus of, of your life. Um, how, what made you come to that kind of conclusion and make that big transition and change? I think I was sitting at uh, Carver Regional Center going, oh, we have two with autism. It was like, mm-hmm. okay, this is now our life. So how am I going to go and make the best of it? Mm-hmm. So started advocating for my kids and realizing it, it, the power of the, this IEP system and the complexity of it and it, how frustrating it is and then wanting to go and make sure the parents have the right tools to, in order to do that. So then becoming, becoming an advocate. And AST was actually instrumental in me becoming an advocate. Um, Bill Freya at the time contacted me and said, we really would like to use you as an advocate. <laughs> and and um, it was like, okay, I guess I'm going to leave my nursing field and go into this full-time because it's where my passion was. So yeah. I think it really started with my kids, um, and it, it grew from there. I, I knew that I, as a parent, needed other parents, and I needed to go and, and feel like we have a system in place so that we can support one another. Mm-hmm. And inherently, our kids are going to benefit. So it started out really as, as wanting to get involved and be around other people with similar challenges that uh, spun off to, you know, taking a leadership position and to, to make that happen. So I think it's really, in, when you take the parents' perspective, it, it's daunting, it's overwhelming, and how do you get through this? maze of now you know what do I do Um, my child just diagnosed so um, that's kind of where the 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 start came with my kids was it hard I mean you just talked about some of the things that so many parents I mean I I know we both have heard it over so many years of this is hard this is daunting this is taxing I'm under pressure and stress did was it hard for you to I mean, you obviously have your own emotions with your own kids, your own things going on with your own family, to give up so much of your own time with them to dedicate to so many other families. Was that, was that a struggle for you? Um, it kind of, once I got into the process of doing it, I think the struggle, it wasn't really so much a struggle. There, there were times that it was, you know, where we had, you know, three, four IEP meetings in, we called it IEP season. It was not even meetings. It was a season. We had the June booked, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, so I really never felt like I had to make it, make a choice. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of times what I'm learning with my, my clients, I, I, I would, you know, do this with my kids. Um, it, it's kind of was a growing period with, me as being an advocate and then also being an advocate for my children. And then consequently, my daughter has taken on an advocacy role and was really, really um, starting to become um, come on her own with, with self-advocacy. So mm-hmm. it, it kind of all kind of evolved kind of organically. Um, and I just loved it. I think that's, it was, it just became a love, it became, became a passion. Yeah. So it wasn't work then. I I mean, I've seen you in an IEP and I, and I've seen you in front of a group of parents and you're right. It never seems like work for you. It it does come across like your passion. Like this is what you were meant to be doing. So that, that makes a lot of sense. It really feels like that. It really does. And there's a lot the parents can, a lot of parents don't realize they have, they really do have the power and they have the, they, and a lot of times they don't feel like they have the power and they go and get an advocate and the advocate says the same thing in an IEP meeting as, like I would say, in mine. And it was, it's totally received differently. So we have a system that actually it's not that parent-friendly either. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. You know, the kind of getting to like a, a broader level, you know, there's – there's a, a lot of different issues. You know, you, you've been involved now with the ASA for it's, it's 10 years, and the group has, has really evolved and is becoming um, 
has gotten involved in so many different issues. You know, do you, are there any like major issues you see that are facing either parents or maybe facing people with um, people with autism themselves that are critical that we need to really put time and focus in on? Well, I think that one of the things that I, I know I did as a parent was got stuck in the everyday and didn't look mm-hmm. forward. And, you know, it's all about getting the schoolwork done. And, and then at the end of the day, you walk away from that, and there are adults going, what was all that torment over homework? And how did that benefit my family, and how did it benefit my kids? Um, so really stepping back and saying, what's important? And I think the biggest important thing that um, issue that is, needs to come to the forefront is employment. And it's skills for employment. It's not mm-hmm. just getting a job. It's the social skills, the motivation that you talked about at the beginning. How mm-hmm. do we motivate? How do we get, get people involved with our, our kids to say, not only do I, I'm interested in what they offer, but I want to employ them. We're, gonna, we're really not doing enough in that area, really. And, and it really starts young, you know, if they have a favorite passion, mm-hmm. don't downplay it. That could be a, a possible job opportunity um, and a, a career goal. And I think that we focus so much on getting through the education and, and, and you know, parents go, oh, it's getting to the diploma, and we realize getting the diploma means that it's an exit document, and we actually – went to due process um, with our school district to keep my daughter in because she was not prepared for adulthood. So I think that it's keeping that parents have to keep their eye on today, but they also have to know what's, what's out there and that we have to work on preparing for a future um, so, and critical. You know, as I, as I listen to you, I feel like it, I, I may have this wrong, but it almost feels like, you almost have to – do does a parent have to make that decision? Is, is there a point in time where you have to make a decision to say the diploma track and college and the, the, the quote-unquote like typical neurotypical steps that we expect of children, I want my child to follow that track, or I need to focus on more of a true life social skills type of program? Because – I'm thinking of some of the skills that you're talking about, and I don't feel like my math class in high school gave them to me. No. I got them elsewhere. Exactly. You got so them there... either, you know, having, having a job or having some a, a experience or, you know, that's how kind of young adults kind of learn. They stumble through things. They, mm-hmm. they learn kind of, it's kind of on-the-job training, and our kids don't have that opportunity Mm-hmm. And I think that when we focus so much on academics, we miss the boat because when you're talking about academic skills versus mm-hmm. job skills, two very, very different things. Um, sitting in a class, taking notes, taking a test, getting a grade. Our kids, a lot of them are kind of used to that system. Mm-hmm. When they go to community college, it's a little more demanded on them as far as doing things independently, but it's pretty much how how things roll but once they get out okay they don't do they have the the job skills or the communication skills or the motivation Mm. to be able to be employed got it and yeah so it sounds like you know originally so i originally when i was listening to you i was thinking you know is it is it do you have to make this choice about how the school day is structured and what kind of classes you take? Mm-hmm. But kind of listening to you more, it sounds like a bigger part of this is also really focusing in from your perspective of, you know, what kind of therapies maybe are you participating in after school? What kind of clubs and groups are available to our kids after school that are promoting these skills, not just saying here from nine to three, kids are learning this. It's really looking at, uh, looking at, the, I guess the programs or the goals or the treatments available to kids on a 
more of a global, you know, across the day, across the environment's perspective. Absolutely, because, you know, there's, there's so much they could gain from school in the mm-hmm. social realm, in the, you know, and it tends to be minimized on, in, in, you know, our education system is to get kids in and out and, you know, on to the next level. And with mm-hmm. our kids, what's the next level? So to have them be part of a community, be a, you know, being out in the community, I, that's immensely important. And, mm-hmm. and going back to this, do parents have to decide are diploma track or not diploma track? Um, we actually, in fifth grade, made the decision at that time to go and put my son on a diploma track. So we made mm-hmm. a specific thing in fifth grade that this is what we're going for. Um, when he got to be a freshman in high school, I went to a transition fair, and people at the transition fair is going, why, why is he getting a diploma? That's really stupid. I'm going, what? He goes, they go, well, he'll never get job skills. And I'm like, well, hold the, hold, what? So I made the mistake of thinking, okay, I'm going along with this ideology that, that yeah. they get a diploma, everything will be fine, right? And then I realized, oh, there's a whole other world called transition from 18 to 22. So um, it, we, we switched gears immediately and had him stay an extra year and not, didn't have him graduate, ha- took him out of classes so he couldn't graduate, have mm-hmm. him get jobs on campus, change the focus, and I'll have to tell you, he's in college internship program at this point in time and has yet to work a job, and he's 25. Mm. So does he have the skills to work a job at this point? I don't know. So, yeah, and it's, I, I listen to you, and it's almost like I think about kids who are maybe gen ed. You know, Maybe they're on the diploma track, but maybe they've got – uh, a little bit of speech or a little bit of OT or they've got a little bit of these like supplemental type of um, services, maybe nothing as intense as like an SDC classroom or, or an ABA type of program because they're just, you know, on this other track. And almost hearing you, it's almost like we should think about should there be almost like an employment prep type of add-on service or or class for kids who maybe are really talented, really smart, really high-functioning kids with autism who are working their tails off to hit this diploma track so they don't miss out on these other things. Like, it shouldn't have to yeah. be this choice. And, and I, this was my question to uh, people in my, why is it either or? Why is it yeah. this or this? It, 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 it really, we shouldn't make a decision based on what you're not going to receive. It should be what mm-hmm. do you need to receive? And... You know, yeah, I, I, I think that what we're, what we're finding um, is the focus, even in young adulthood, after they come out of high school, is, oh, let's have them go to community college. So all these programs have strung up about going to community college. So, mm-hmm. okay, so they have been, if they haven't been successful in school, now they're in a community college still not being successful. They're still not getting work skills. So... Mm-hmm. It's almost like the community colleges are used as a stopgap to go and because we really can't solve this problem of how are they going to be employed. I, mm. I think um, it, it just seems like, well, get through city college, maybe get your AA degree, but then what? You know. So I think that talking about employment skills at an early age is, you know, think about the, the what what you need. You need flexible thinking. You need to work as mm-hmm. a team. You need to be able to mm-hmm. express yourself you, you, in order to evoke Americans with Disabilities Act when you're an adult. You have to tell them what your disability is and what you need accommodation with. So there's so much that we need to do, and it's just, um, it's just getting people focused on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's about that time. Why don't we let's take a, a little bit of a break, play a couple of commercials, come back and talk a little bit more with Caroline Wilson. Um, got a couple more employment questions for you, uh, actually, when we come back. So we'll be right back, everybody. All right. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio. 
At AST, we see a world where people with autism dream and achieve their full potential. Our promise is to support families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. At AST, we recognize that every child is unique. We are proud to offer what we believe is the most cohesive approach to supporting your child's needs and goals at each stage. From ABA to speech therapy, occupational therapy, and social skills, we have the elements you need to build the plan that is just right for you. One company, one team, with one mission to support individuals and their families to dream and achieve their full potential. Call us today to let us know how we can best support your family at 866-727-8274. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for our host or today's guest, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. All right, welcome back. Part two, second half of the show. Uh, joined today by Caroline Wilson, Executive Director of Autism Society of Los Angeles. Um, you know, right before we took our, our little breather, our little break, um, you were talking about the skills and preparing our kids early on for employment. And before we kind of leave the employment topic, um, I wanted to actually touch on the, the second half of this. And I remember a conversation. You and I probably had a conversation four, if not five years ago, sitting in the middle of Westside Regional Center after one of their, um, um, one of their big uh, you know, collaboration. I, I can't remember the name of the committee, but that collaboration committee. Yeah, the collaborative. That, uh, collaborative. Yeah, the collaborative. <laughs> Duh. Um, and I remember us having this conversation for about 20, 30 minutes um, about not just the preparation piece, but the having jobs out there that our kids can go into as stepping stones. So the idea of, you know, most kids get, you know, you think about most teenagers, most young adults, the first job you get is not necessarily the career you're going to have. Some kids bounce around into different jobs. Some kids take a job, learn from it, evolve into other careers, other jobs, and are there enough opportunities out there for our kids to be able to get an internship, to be able to get like a real work experience since they may need some extra practice? And I remember you being really, really passionate about that, that there's all these opportunities out there, but the employers aren't aware that there's a great opportunity for them. The parents aren't aware that they have an opportunity to reach out to these people. And I just, I found that to be really interesting I don't know if you remember this idea, this conversation at all, but is um, yeah, like, I are do. you seeing that? Like what? Yeah, like I'm hoping you could share some thoughts. Um, you know, I'm not seeing it enough. I I think that one of the things that we did, um, a group of parents got together in the South Bay, and they were really passionate about you know having support for one another, and we created the futures now. Um, mm-hmm. su- support group, which meets the third Wednesday at Michael's Learning Place. And mm-hmm. one of the things that divided people, which I thought was really interesting, was around housing. So if your kid, if you don't feel mm-hmm. your kid is like high enough functioning to have a job, which I don't agree with, but whatever, um, I think everybody can work at some, yeah. I have a firm belief of that. I do or you, you're going the housing route or you're going the employment route. But the reality is you have to have a meaningful life. And what mm-hmm. is that meaningful life? It's not about one thing or the other. Again, you know, having to make these tough choices of I'm just concerned about placing my kid in a housing situation. Well, what are we going to do with them the rest of the day? So even parents are split on feeling like if their kid is not high enough, they'll never be employed. Um, you know, so it's really a, a shift in thinking. And 
I think everybody also feels like, well, we, our, our group can't ask about employment because typical people can't be employed. Mm-hmm. So that's another huge factor that's come into play. So I, I think that we, we tend to shy away from it. Um, yeah. I know parents shy away from it. Um, it's, it, it, these, are, these are big issues, and they have to deal with multi, um, systems. You know, you have Department of Rehab and you have, you know, the regional center kind of working with Department of Rehab. And, you know, it's very, it's a complex system. It's not something that's easy. So it's going to take a lot of hard work. But I don't, I really, from that conversation, I have not seen a real movement to get um, employers interested. There's spurts, but employers interested in our people and are people interested in those employers and i think that's actually a really sorry to jump in but i i feel like that that's the point i i remember you saying that now but i Mm -hmm. i i feel like i forget about are our our kids interested in the jobs that are actually available to them and that's another issue um you know to to tell a kid well is your, your, your jumping off job, even though you may hate it, you know, this is a way, they're stepping stones. And, yeah. um, and I think one of the things that we do with our kids, and I, I know that people have done this with particularly my son, who his, his whole um, transition plan was, I'm going to be a millionaire. Okay, first off, let's stop that. Um, and I'm going to go and be a director. But the skills needed to be a director are not something that match his his personality or his aptitude. Mm-hmm. So people tend to go, yeah, 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 okay, great, that's fantastic, and they have no idea how to get in there. So I think really not squelching their dreams, but also really moving them towards let's this is a first job. This is what you're learning at that job. This is why that job's important. Yeah. Moving into another job, you know it, and and having it successful. Sure. Huge issue. Yeah. Because I mean, if they go into it not successful, it's not going to work. Yeah. I mean, and it, it's amazing how how successful it can all be, because you know, as I remember talking about that day. Now, I've seen a lot of kids who, kids with autism, in their first jobs, their employers have are very supportive, and at the end of three months, four months, they're saying this is one of my best employees because mm-hmm. there's Absolutely. a desire there. You know, our that that's the thing that people sometimes sell short of our kids is they have a desire for all of these skills and the life and everything we're describing. You know, a lot of our kids. Re- really, really want that, and they're, they have a little bit of extra drive. They do, yeah. and, and one of the things that I I spent a lot of time kind of researching this when this whole thing is happening with my kids, and um, I, there's a study that was done in, um, in uh, um, England by Patricia mm-hmm. Howland talking about if you give people with autism specifically higher level jobs and you give them the support when they're in those higher level jobs, their employment rate went from 8% employment to 80% employment because they gave them enough support and the right support and they average stayed in the job 10 years. Mm -hmm. They had great employees and I, you know, I carried this report around with me everywhere to every Blue Ribbon Commission meeting or whatever. You know, find out what how they did this and let's replicate it. Um, yeah. Because it, it's they do want to work. My son desperately wants to work. Um, you know, but it's just getting him that first job and yeah. having that job be successful. Did, and so they're feeling told- confident. Have I told you about the um, the study that Dorothea Lerman did about the kids? She, she was um, she's at University of Houston Clear Lake, and she was on the show maybe about a year ago. Year, yeah, probably about a year ago, maybe longer. And she came on and was telling us all about the study she was doing, in which she was working with 
uh, young adults with autism who were providing ABA therapy to little kids with autism. And she said the study they did basically showed that these young adults with autism were implementing the ABA programs perfectly and that the kids, the little kids, were actually making progress in all their goals no differently than, you know, any other ABA therapist running the program. And she was saying that one of the – she wasn't able to research this, like, truly yet, but the anecdotal data they got so far was that a lot of the kids, the young adults with autism, were actually really motivated to be therapists because they felt like they were helping other people like themselves. And they yes. were kind of giving back. And I thought that was a really cool kind of take and perspective of, you know, the types of jobs that our kids may be actually perfectly suited for that don't jump out of this right away, but could motivate them in these other ways that you're talking about. Absolutely. Because, one, you, there's an understanding of what their disability is. Mm-hmm. I mean, my, my daughter would do very well working with occupational therapists in mm. some capacity because she could find an occupational therapist in a crowd. She, she goes right to him. I, I don't know how she does it. But this was a big deal for her. She, she as far as, you know, um, therapy for her. So she really lo- loves this. But then, I, then you go, well, how does she become an aide for an occupational therapist? She can't go through the education. And I think that's where we have to start looking at yeah. who they need to. Do they have to go through a four-year college course? And, and if they have the skills, can they work at some sort of job in, in an area that interests them without mm-hmm. having to have all the degrees and all the, you know, I think that prevents anybody from even thinking in this realm. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to be an ABA provider, well, well don't you have to go to college and, and take all those courses and do all those things and, and that's where our kids are falling short, too. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. too big for them. And, yeah, yeah. But I completely can imagine that that would be correct, that, that yeah. they would be good therapists. I, that yeah. doesn't surprise me. But, um, you know, I think getting, trying to figure out where, how the, what the path is going to be. Um, and, mm-hmm. and helping them through this path because it's daunting. You know, it, yeah. it's, it's quite daunting. Well, I, I want to – we've got we've got a little bit of time left here to chat, and, I, and I, one thing I wanted to make sure we talk about is, is something very different. So I want to kind of pause on our, um, on our kind of employment adulthood conversation just because um, – I wanted to at least give you an opportunity to share with people out there the the work you did with the Los Angeles Police Department. Um, I know this okay. is something you guys have been doing for a really long time, uh, probably four years, five years now. Um, but I've always thought it's really cool. It's something we've actually never talked about on the show. And it's just, I think, a cool thing for people to be aware of. So um, I was hoping you could share with us about uh, Mission Possible and, and kind of that partnership you've created with them. Uh, it's been a kind of an amazing experience. Um, we were, have been working with LAPD since 2005, actually. Um, wow. We were approached, yeah, we were working with the Mental Health Evaluation Unit, really just us talking to police officers. And I would bring my kids so that they could, you know, have a conversation with a person that this is what a person with autism looks like. So um, Dr. Luan Pinnell from, from the um, police education uh, training division kind of approached us and go, said, well, let's take this to a different level. Let's go and get kids with autism, police in, in local areas, in divisions, which they have bureaus, and we're going to get them together and we're going to train the police ahead of time and then we're going to have the kids go and do, do a experiential learning as they, they do this together. Uh, for, of course, at first I thought, because I'm the logistics person, and she's out of her mind. <laughs> but <laughs> I really thought, how are we going to pull this off? How are we going to get LAUSD kids on a bus into a police environment, and get the cops trained, get the pl- kids with the police? And, and it has worked beautifully. It has worked 
unbelievably in the, in the impact for the police officers is they go through this experiential training prior in the morning and then they meet their, their student. I did not know that they never were briefed that they were meeting a student. Now they kind of know the jig is up. Wow. But, you know, uh, they did not. I did. I didn't realize that they weren't briefed, and so I'm trying to pair officers, and they're looking at me like I'm kind of crazy. Um, <laughs> and then the, but they took to it, and they were. They got one-on-one attention with with a police officer, and they're showing them, you know, um, the this police department, which is the it's their training facility, and they're going through these experiential learning with the kids, and the the police walked away with one an understanding of autism, but two, they they walked away with a kind of a relationship that the kids had been with them. They, they, they know a person with autism. And so it, it really had a phenomenal impact on the kids. It had a phenomenal impact on, on um, the, the police. And it's been very, very su- successful. We're doing our fourth event, or is it fifth event? Fourth event in February, on February 27th um, in Central Division. And then we'll come back... Um, I think in April to do another event, and then we we have had a combined grant with LAPD. We were as came on as a consultant to do the logistics and do the curriculum and put this whole thing together. And it, it's um, it's really been amazing. So we're ending that grant cycle. Hopefully, we're going to get another grant for this um, because it's been very very successful, and wow. people are walking away with a real knowledge of. Okay, I I, know, I understand where this this person is coming from. So it, it's been um, it's been a great experience, and you know, I, working with PD entity in itself, they have their own language. You know, so once you you bridge those gaps with community, it, it's just it's, and we've had full support from the from the um, police chief, and um, it, it's just been amazing really has been amazing. So we have another one coming up the 27th. And all total, by the time we're done, we'll probably have over a 1,000 police trained and about that many kids. So wow. it's been a real a real um, great experience. Why I, we want I, to I, kind of keep it going. Yeah, I, oh, I bet. I mean, I, I always thought it was very cool when I first heard about it, you know, a bunch of years back. But now that I, I'm in so many different states and I, I feel like I talk to parents from so many different communities, I just have a whole new appreciation for what this project is because, you know, you hear stories about, you know, just maybe the kid wanders off, a, a stumbled upon a police officer, and the police officer doesn't know what's going on. Maybe there's a situation um, where a kid gets violent, a police officer is around, doesn't understand what's going on. And, like, I've heard so many weird stories that no one has bad intentions. It's just the opposite. They actually all have good intentions, but just have zero understanding about autism and how that really right. screwed things up. It does. And it, they, they get misread, like, mm-hmm. oh, this person's on drugs or this person is, is, going, is becoming violent. Um, yeah. They misread and miscues. And I think one of the things is that you have, we have to realize, like, our kids have been fully included in school. They've been, you know, walking home by themselves. They're in the community. And the reality is, because of their social communication deficits, mm-hmm. there will be a point where understanding is going to fall apart. Mm-hmm. And if they could be able to understand how to go up to a police officer to either elicit help or how to talk to somebody and, and how to prepare yourself for and this interaction, um, the better they're going to be in the community. And, and of course, if the police uh, obviously understand what's going on, it, it makes it all, you know, all the better. Because these these situations can result in, you know, uh, bad outcomes for the person with autism and for the police department. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, we've been very very lucky that LAPD has been as progressive and as um, open to this because, you know, to work with a, non- a nonprofit and having a police department 
open their doors to not only a school district but also a another non profit and come in and work collaboratively is really it's really amazing. Mm-hmm. It's been an amazing experience. You know, we've got we've got about five minutes left uh, to to chat, and I, I just wanted to ask kind of one final question. Um, going back to this, to where we started, the grassroots. Um, you know, I feel like over the last ten years, when I first met the Autism Society of Los Angeles compared to now, my perception has been that you guys have really just steadily grown in terms of the impact you're having on the community, the size of the organization, how many parents you're able to touch, how many uh, providers like me you get to reach out to and, and collaborate with. It just feels like the group has really grown in a lot of different ways. Um, and I was just curious, you know, if, if you have parents listening out there who maybe they're part of a grassroots effort, maybe they're really motivated to start something, um, do you have any advice for them? Do you have any kind of tips for them of, you know, how you guys were successful and, and, and how you go out there and kind of spread this, this message and the word of, of what you really feel is valuable and important? I think, you know, we're going through a, a big, you know, change and, and, um, and one of the things that we have not done well at is our fundraising piece, which we're, we're working diligently on because we're still a relatively small organization with a very big voice. So mm-hmm. I don't think if somebody wants to go and start a grassroots organization, keep it as open as possible. I think when, one, one of the things that we were, had the benefit of being the Autism Society is that we call, we call it We Are Switzerland. Um, we cover the whole entire spectrum, and we also we don't actually, you know, say we only believe in one thing or another, um, yes. which has given us abilities to kind of be in circles where, where if you limit yourself by we only believe in this, like we only believe in one thing, um, I think it limits you as, you as you grow as an organization. So, um, and, you know, all you need to do is get passionate people together with a mission and be able to kind of go and say, we're going to make a difference in our community. And I think that's one of the things. We have a big community. Obviously, we're all, mm-hmm. all of Los Angeles. But, you know, if you could make little inroads in your community that will benefit your kids, that's the, that's the key. You know, mm-hmm. um, we've taken that benefit in our community, and it's a big bite and it's all of L.A. County, and then we took on, let's go and do a, a legislation for a state. So it doesn't matter how big you are, you could still create an, an impact, have an amazing impact. Yeah. You just have to be passionate about it and have a direction. Yeah. You know, um, and we'll be willing to collaborate with anybody. I mean, we, we are chief collaborators. Uh, you know, there's nobody I won't talk to and, and there's nobody we won't, won't work with. Yeah. Um, you know, keep that open too. So, um, you know, it, I think that's that's a big. Um, you know, collaborate with school districts. We have we have wonderful relationships with school districts. I mean, it, it's we had an amazing collaboration over before the winter break with um, a school district that contacted us because a student was basically kicked out of his home, and we were able to go with the connections that we have to get this kid together and get him what he needed over the Christmas break. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, I mean, it's, it's powerful. It's, it doesn't always have to come from the, you know, we're going to advocate against you. It, it's like, how can we meet this need as a community? And I think that's the biggest focus. You can't go wrong with that. Yeah. I, I love what you said yeah. just about the, the size of your guys' voice because I think that's just it. Yeah, it's interesting. My perception is is that you guys are this large, growing organization. But you're right; you probably haven't grown as much as my perception has been. It's just your voice has grown because I I know so many of your your key players, and they are passionate, passionate people, just like yourself, who who really give it their all, and and that that probably makes the biggest impact more than anything else. I think what, what it makes an in, impact, but I, one of the things that I think people, because they, they f- see these, uh, the, what we have been able to do, they're going, ah, they're, they're fine. You know, they don't need right. anything, um, which is 
it can be farther from the truth. But um, I think we we still go and say we're going to do this because it's the right thing to do. And yeah. and um, it, it you know we're hoping that other stuff will, will happen, and we're we're working diligently to make that uh, and grow as is a capacity as an organization. Um, so. So we still want to continue to do those things that make a difference in our community. So mm-hmm. it, it's, I think that you don't have to be this, you know, big, huge organization to make change. And, and we absolutely have, have you know, shown that. We are, we we're mighty in our voice. Yeah. Definitely. And, well, and, how can... You know, no, go ahead. No, it, it's just um, keeping that voice really strong and keeping the people people motivated. I think that's a big thing. Yeah. Well, we're uh, we're we're pretty much at that time. So, um, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for. Uh, I think this is the longest both of us have been able to actually sit down <laughs> and talk in a, in a long time. Um, a long time. But uh, but you mentioned you know people's the voice and. You know, people learning more from what you guys are doing, people being supportive and, and, and assisting in what you guys are doing. Uh, how can people find out more information about um, the Autism Society of Los Angeles? Um, what's the best way for them to, to reach out to you guys and learn more about what you're doing? Um, we have a website. It's autismla.org. Um, that website is dedicated towards helping people navigate the system so there's lots of information on that website that we're adding every every single day. But you know, um, there's volunteer um, work uh, fill out sheets that people could fill out and send to us. Or you know, um, everything pretty much comes back to me. Um, and you know, so uh, give us a call or send an email. Say, hey, I want to get involved. And um, you know, we we have lots of stuff for people to do. And uh, never never. Um, to get can't get enough of volunteers, so that that's always a good thing. And um, any types of support people can do. We, we're having our first ever annual dodgeball tournament that's going to be on February 22nd, nice. and so we're needing people. We're going outside the autism community. This is all dodgeball people, and um, so we're we're looking for volunteers for that, and that should be a, a really fun event. And um, sponsors and uh, whatever way you could get involved. Awesome. So you guys going to do the big conference again? Um, you guys have done um, the Futures Now conference a few, few times. We are looking at doing another conference, but we want it on self determination. Nice. So it's going to be self determination focused. Nice. Yeah. So we're Very looking nice. at possibly, you know, so, some dates for that. Um, we will be having trainings ongoing o- along with area board on, you know, we're trying to make sure that because we push this law through, we want to make sure that it rolls out right and that okay. people get the information they need. So that's, that's our big focus this year is, is to either break it down in small workshops or have one large one in small one. So we're in the process. Nice, nice. That makes perfect sense. Well, obviously, yeah. we'll we'll talk more about that probably off the air, and you'll fill me in on on what you guys the events as they're coming up, and 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 how we can help you guys out. So that sounds that sounds great. Well, thank you so much for well, being thank here. Thank you for having me. It's been exciting, and we could talk cool. for three years. You know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I'm I'm sure we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. All right. All right. Okay. Literally have 30 seconds here before we're going to clo- play the show closer. Um, so thank you guys for tuning in. Hope this was really helpful. Uh, hope you uh, enjoyed uh, our, our banter with one another because, you know, we're not kidding. We, I feel like I see Caroline like every three, four months at some sort of event, and there's just never enough time to actually sit and talk and share ideas. Um, if you have questions, please email us more info at Autism Spectrum Therapies, um, Facebook, great opportunity to post some things, and definitely check out the Autism Society of Los Angeles' website. They, they truly are one of my favorite organizations to partner with, to work with. 
um, and they have taught me a lot, and I know they help so many parents out there. All right, everyone. Take care. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. We hope you have enjoyed today's episode of Autism Spectrum Radio. For additional information and resources about autism, visit www.autismtherapies.com. Please join us each week for a new episode or visit our archive to listen to and download previous shows.